Today we have a, a guest speaker, um, Daniel Holland, uh, with us. Uh, he's an evangelist uh, through the ministry, uh, in ministry through Faith Missions, um, and uh, I knew him from some folks in Basingstoke where I used to pastor, and uh, they were saying, you know, how this ministry has blessed the churches over there in Basingstoke. Uh, to reach out to the community over there with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it is an honor and privilege to have him here. So I will just call him to share the word of God to us. Amen. Good morning, everyone. God bless you. It's really a privilege to, to be here. My name's Dan, and I have a couple of friends here, Robert and Arthur, supporting through Faith Missions, you can see my uniform here. Um, I'm an evangelist, so I love to encourage people, to equip people to share their faith. I find that although it's the, the main job we're given here on earth to do, it's the least popular thing to do. Less popular even than the prayer meeting is the Saturday morning, come on, let's go out and evangelize. Maybe not so here, but that's what I, I generally find. Well, I, I want to get straight into my message, if I may, because I'm kind of buzzing with it. Um, I was seeking God about three weeks ago um, regarding coming here. I always like to seek God and, and by the grace of God, to bring um, a now word, a, a kairos word, something that's capturing his heart for the church I'm going to. And it's so much easier to do that when you're not local, when you don't know enough information, enough politics, enough all the other stuff that kind of wafts around in church culture. I don't know any of that here, so I'm wonderfully free. And if I tread on your toes, um, maybe I'm sorry, but maybe I'm not sorry. I don't know. don't know yet. <laughs> maybe you don't know me well enough to tell me. <laughs> but um, so I was seeking God, and, and you know, that's, it's not a small thing, because we've got 66 books in the Bible. What is the passage? What is the message? What is the chapter that you would like me to bring? And God was very gracious to me. Straight away, he said, Church of Philadelphia. Revelations chapter 3. I was like, thank you, God. That's really helpful. And um, so I can, can start praying into that and um, seeking what, what specifically, what is the prophetic edge? What is, it, what is the encouragement you want to bring to this church um, in, in Winchester? So just a tiny bit of background about the book of Revelation. I've been digging into it more than ever in these last few years. Have, I don't know about you, but um, you can't go through the... the the last few years and not begin to think, hang on a minute, let me go to the book of Revelation. What's being said about the, the end times? And there are a lot of views about the book of Revelation. Some Christians don't like it at all. It's way too left field, way too left-brained, way too esoteric, way too mystical. I know too many Christians who've nailed themselves to a to a, a part of the book of Revelation. They've even given a time and a date, which we're expressly told not to do. I don't know why people keep falling into this trap of when the world's going to end. The world would have ended a thousand times over if everyone had been right in their interpretation of Revelation. So I don't come to you today professing to have a, a precise and accurate interpretation, but hopefully some principles from it. It is the only book in the Bible that we're expressly told we get a blessing for studying it. I'm going to be blessed in teaching it. You're going to be blessed. We're already blessed by hearing it and learning some principles from it. Amen? Can we agree on that? 
We already have a blessing. It's the only book in the Bible we're expressly told. We will receive a blessing. Those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So just spiritually open up your ears, pull out any spiritual wax, any preconceptions about, no, I don't like that book, I don't, it's fearful, I don't like to hear about it. Just pull out that wax in the spirit and open your ears wide. He who has ears, let him hear. Now we've all got two ears in this place as far as my eyes are, are accurate. <laughs> Jesus isn't saying physically, he's saying spiritually, open up your spiritual ears. Open them wide <laughs> because I want to speak to you. <laughs> I've got things to say to you, but in order to hear them, you've got to get rid of some of the blockages, some of the distractions, some of the fears, some of the preconceptions. So we do that, Lord Jesus, together. And we want to come before your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this morning. We receive that blessing for jumping into the book of Revelations. Hallelujah. <laughs> so some interesting facts about the book of Revelation. The Apostle John wrote this incredible book, probably very aged, he's very aged in, in um, servitude on the island of Patmos, about 150 miles from the churches that he was pastor of, the seven churches in Revelation. It's interesting, the way, if you read um, Revelations 2 and 3, it's like the journey a postman would take around what we call Turkey, it was called Asia then. And John's heart, his pastor's heart, is aching for these, these churches, these believers who he loves like a father. He was the apostle of love, but he can't physically go and be with them. But he's getting messages from God so that someone can run. Someone can take the scroll and run with it and put it in their hands. Hallelujah. The word of God is not chained. <laughs> Just like the apostle Paul wrote about two-thirds of the Old Testament, maybe a third of it, or a quarter of it in prison, the word of God is not chained. A scroll is sent with this message to the church of, um, of Philadelphia. But the Apostle John is absolutely saturated in Scripture. I love the prophetic. If we want to move in the Spirit, we've got to live in the Word of God. Amen? Or we get way out on the wonk. We've got to be absolutely saturated in Scripture. To get into the Word of God, so that the Word of God can get into us. Did you know that 404 verses in the book of Revelations, 400 of them are direct references to Scripture? Isn't that incredible? John Wesley spoke about how we get so much of the Word of God into us that our, our blood becomes bibline, that we can't really speak without references to the Bible. That's what I'm after. Not in a kind of holier than thou and sanctimonious, but scripture is just in our bloodstream. And that's how we live prophetic lives when we're absolutely saturated in the scripture. I love the prophetic. I love the word of God. But we've got to be, we've got to be grounded in the word of God. Or we do too much discredit to the kingdom of God. We all know people, perhaps, who've gone way out there, left field, with the book of Revelation. It's just kind of prime material for that kind of thing. <laughs> Let's not do it. Let's be absolutely biblical, absolutely grounded in the Word of God. There are 39 Old Testament books. 24 of them are directly referenced in the book of Revelation. So 
Can we just disavow ourselves of this idea that John was having a bad day and ate some mushrooms for breakfast that weren't, you know, quite the thing? Rubbish! This is a special book. It's got a special, special message for us, particularly as we live in the last days, which I think began when Paul preached at Pentecost. But we're closer than we've ever been, amen? <laughs> we're closer than we've ever been. The Gospels show us Jesus primarily as prophet. The epistles show us Jesus as priest. Revelation shows us Jesus as king. People say, oh, I just want to know about Jesus. I just love Jesus. Well, you can't know Jesus fully except for diving into the book of Revelation. Oh, these are my favorite scriptures. I don't like those controversial ones and those challenging ones, those confrontational ones. Well, you don't know Jesus fully then. If we want to know Jesus fully, we have to fully know the Word of God and be biblical Christians. Amen? <laughs> and get into Ezekiel and get into Jeremiah and, you know, not just the comfortable gospel bits. Jesus, we have a problem with the Trinity if we think Jesus wasn't involved in Ezekiel and Jeremiah because he was there by his Spirit inspiring the prophets. Amen? So hopefully we can safely look at this passage, knowing that God has something to say to us, and specifically to this church here in Winchester. So there are seven churches that Jesus gives a message to. We're looking at the sixth one, but just briefly, what, what, what does it have for us? When, when, what is the message for us when these, these were historical churches that John knew 2,000 years ago? Well, let me give you some ideas. They're just Literally, the seven churches at that time that uh, the Apostle John was sending a message to, and that's all it is. But we have to say, hang on a minute, there are seven of them. Seven means completeness. Seven means perfection. It's the number of God. Could it possibly be that God was clever enough to give a specific message to those churches then <laughs> that would resound through the ages and be a prophetic message for us here today? Could that possibly be? Is God clever enough? I think he is, more than, many times over. Maybe those seven churches could represent the state of individual believers. I, I recommend to you this afternoon, if I've stirred your heart at all, go home and read those two chapters and say, God, I want to know which one am I? <laughs> which one of those seven am I as an individual believer? And which is, which is my church? Where do we fit on that? Sometimes it's surprising what God will say to us. It's not always what we've, we've preconceived. Some people would say these seven churches represent church ages. That we've had seven ages and when they calculate that, they normally end up with, we are in the Laodicean age, the seventh age, seventh church age. And there's some quite elaborate ideas about how each of those messages relates to a period of history. And um, it tends to fall down a little bit because it's all interpreted from the Western church. It's like we completely ignore um, <laughs> Asia, completely ignore the Eastern church. However, there's, there's maybe something in that. Maybe at the, at the um, very fullness of time, we will see clearly those seven churches represented again. Very clearly see those characteristics in different churches. So take all of those, or one of those, or a combination of those, but I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak to you this morning and speak to this, this church. 
So Philadelphia, I find it fascinating how God is utterly committed to redemption in every sense. This city of Philadelphia, do you know what it means? City of brotherly love. It was founded by a Greek ruler who loved his brother. It was called Attilus. He loved his brother so much, he said, I'm going to build a city in honor of my brother. And it's going to be a missionary city. It's going to be a gateway city because there are five big roads. They love to build roads, straight ones. Greeks, but Romans even more. There are five big roads into the interior. This was designed to be a missionary city. And I was thinking about this. Hang on a minute, I'm going to Winchester. Hang on a minute, wasn't King Alfred, didn't he get some psalms out? Wasn't he at least nominally Christian? And wasn't, in a sense, Winchester, the capital of the Kingdom of Wessex, wasn't it in some sense a missionary city? Propagating this new kingdom. He was into education, he was into, in, into equipping the army, he was into defense, he was into, into peop- looking after people's health. He had a, King Alfred had a picture of the kingdom of God in some, some, some sense. Interesting that you're giving me this message to bring to Winchester. Because Philadelphia was a missionary city in its inception to take demonic teaching and wine, actually, was their big export. Dionysus, the god of wine, the god of pleasure. But it was to take demonic teachings, the doctrines of demons, into the interior of Asia. I love how God loves to redeem things. Flip them on their head, turn them inside out and back to front. So I'm going to take that city <laughs> called Brotherly Love. That was a missionary, it was a gateway city to take demonic teaching into the interior of Asia. I'm going to turn it into a missionary city for the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to get glory in that place. Even going to redeem the name. Don't you love that? I get excited by that. There's almost nothing that God can't redeem if we give him time and space and obedience. Almost nothing. I find that exciting. Of the seven churches, Philadelphia and Smyrna are the only two that receive no rebuke. Wouldn't you like to stand before God on that day, on that day of judgment, and there'd be no rebuke? I would. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Not, well, okay, come in, but through the flames, because we've got to burn a few things off you before you get there. Wouldn't it be quite something to have no rebuke in a prophetic message from the Lord? Because there's all sorts of things said about the prophetic these days, and an awful lot of flattery goes on, actually, in prophecy. But if we're really hearing from Jesus, he's the king. And occasionally there's a rebuke. And occasionally there's a hand on the head and stop there. Hold your horses. If it's only ever flattery and you're wonderful and you're brilliant, and be careful. You're more likely to get a return invite if you just bring a wonderful flattering word. Well, praise God, today there's no rebuke. I think God is, is pleased with you. He's, he's pleased with the brotherly love in this, in this church. It's a precious thing. Brotherly love works two ways, doesn't it? Because Jesus is our elder brother. I think we are all here because we love 
our older brother? Why else would we turn out on a Sunday morning? That's one thing. The vertical relationship is often, that's the, the easier part. It's the horizontal relationships. We may love our older brother. What about our younger brothers? What about our sisters and cousins and spiritual family? Takes a bit of working out, doesn't it? <laughs> Love isn't just, or rarely is, a fuzzy feeling and shivers down the spine. It's a choice ahead of time. Love is an action. Love is a verb. We're going to be loving people. We're going to be active in choosing to do the right thing, whatever we feel like, including sharing the word of God. Because there are lots of brothers and sisters that you don't know yet that are out on that state and in this town. They're extended, extended family. You just don't know them yet. <laughs> God wants to introduce you to them and say, actually, you're, you're related. <laughs> I want you to meet these family that you, you, you never knew. <laughs> I have this wonderful sense when I visit churches, not all churches, but here this morning, your, your family that I never knew I had. Hopefully, you'll still feel, you feel the same and we'll still feel the same at the end of the message. Let's hope so. So, <laughs> returning to Philadelphia, it was called Little Athens. There were so many idols, it was so demonically infestated, it was called Little Athens. There was just idols everywhere, temples everywhere. It was not an easy place to stand as a Christian. Isn't it tempting to get rose-tinted spectacles out and say, oh, if we'd only lived then, it was easier to be a Christian then. There were more godly laws, politicians believed in the Bible. Oh, if we could only go back to the Victorian era. And if we did, it was terrible. It was awful. Every kind of vice going on. <laughs> it's such a big temptation to think, well, if I was back, it'd be easier then. Or The Bible shows us it's possible to grow strong and to live pure as a Christian in the most demonically infestated areas. In fact, if you think of someone or some people that are truly holy, and I, I'm doing that, they generally are planted into the dirt of the, the darkest, most difficult places in the world. We were talking about this um, over dinner last night. That this, the, the drive for holiness is a, is a godly one. I want to live a holy life. But if you're not careful, in a desire for holiness, you become very introverted, very insular, and start to separate yourself from people. That is not true holiness. True holiness takes us out to people's pain and squalor and places where there are demons everywhere. It protects us. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That works for us, but it also works for people looking at our lives, needing a signpost for Jesus. If they can't see holiness on our lives, if we're just like all the rest of the world, they're not going to see Jesus. And so many people I meet are justifiably through with church because they've seen such unholiness, they can't conceive that Jesus has got anything to do with this business. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not the case here. I find myself in evangelism so often apologizing in some small way as a represent, representative of the church. I am so sorry that happened to you in church. I'm so sorry you saw that. I'm so sorry. And it seems so, such a frail, small gesture, but it's something. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. They're told to hold on to their crown. This is very encouraging. 
It's not time to do it this morning, but there are ten crowns that we're told about in Scripture. The crown of life, crown of righteousness. I could list them all off. There are ten crowns, but often they're referring to a crown that will be attained later. Paul said, I haven't already attained it. They're told, just hold on to it. You've already got a crown. (laughs) Just don't lose it. That's different for if you keep going, eventually you will get a crown. Jesus is already pleased with this church, and yet we're told they have little strength. Don't we so often disqualify ourselves? Oh, well, I can't do that. I'm not, I've not got a big ministry. I, we're not a big group. We're not this. We're not that. Jesus said, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I'm interested in whether you believe that I can work through you. He can do incredible things. You can have a, a small church that does great things through great faith and a huge church that does little things with next to no faith. It's not, it really isn't about how many people you've got. It's about how many people have Jesus. Small in number, maybe. Little influence. Rather like uh, Paul spoke to the Corinthian church. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. That's the state of the church in Philadelphia. It's so tempting to think, well, if we just had the mayor was a Christian and he came to our church, if we just had enough rich businessmen, if we just had enough, you know, this or that, how about we start with what we've got and believe God for what he can do with that? It can even be a, a, a stumbling block if you've got someone really famous or really influential. How many Christian sportsmen, musicians make some kind of profession of faith and we whack them on the biggest stages in the Christian world, take them all over, we're, we're actually taking advantage, we're exploiting them because we like the reflected fame. For goodness sake, give them as long to be disciples as anyone else. Let's not exploit their fame. Next thing you know, they've backslidden. And who's surprised, really? Giving someone a platform like that immediately. <laughs> anyone you see that God's given a platform to in the kingdom of God, there's been lots of years... <laughs> in the coal mine, <laughs> been lots of years in a secret dark place. <laughs> Those are the ones that last right to the end. That's what I want to do. Last right to the end. Finish well. Hope I've got many more decades. But I want to finish well. I want to flame out. I've seen too many Christians like that. Just flaming out. Big gesture and then gone. People coming into churches, big gesture, big prophetic word. Don't get things immediately. Right, I'm off. We don't need any more Christians like that. We need faithful Christians like the Philadelphian Christian, Philadelphian uh, Christians. Faithful. Jesus announces himself to them as faithful and true. He's a holy God. Sorry, holy and true. So just because they're small, just because maybe they haven't got much money, just because of all of those things, they're not allowed to disqualify themselves. And neither are you and neither am I. I... I used to be full of false humility. Oh, I'm just a worm crawling on the floor and oh, I'm just dreadful and I can't do anything and God would have to work through everyone else. God showed me it's pride. It's as disgusting as the other kind of pride. (laughs) He is who he says he is. I am who he says I am. Therefore, I can do what he says I can do. He is, it's worth repeating, he is who he says he is. I am who who I say I, sorry, who he says I am. I can do what he says I can do. Do you believe that? False humility is a disgusting thing. We've got to get it out. 
of the church. You know, people, some confidence is different to arrogance. Faith is different to pride. We've got to know the difference. We've got to be discerning. You know, we've got to stop crawling around like a worm on the floor. Stand up. People should know royalties entered the room. We've got unlimited authority delegated to us through Jesus. To use in service, to use in love, of course. But we have it. So Jesus introduces himself, holy and true. My theory is the way he introduces himself, because it's different to all the seven churches, relates to how they need to know him. Well, I want to know Jesus as this, and you know, lie on his lap, and I want to feel chills down my spine. Jesus, my experience, he comes as I need him to come, not as I want him to come. Occasionally the two intersect, and that's lovely, but mostly he comes as I... As, as I need him to come. We might want a lamb. He says, I'm coming as a lion because you need to stand up. <laughs> you need to endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, evangelist. Be a good soldier. Sometimes I might think, I want a lion. He said, I'm coming as a lamb. I want you to be gentle. I want you to be meek. I want you to be humble. He's all things at the same time, but you understand what I'm saying. The way he announces himself, this is the way that they are going to overcome by living holy and true lives. I sometimes think we've lost the fear of God in the corporate church. Way too familiar with the things of God. Way too kind of, well, I'll just come and high-five Jesus. And, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's a holy God. Yes, he's our elder brother. But he's a holy God. And if we don't have any holy fear of God, the enemy can take us out very easily. You see a strong Christian, they'll have the holy fear of God in their lives. <laughs> the holy fear of God will produce a clean church. <laughs> you won't get Ananias and Sapphira running in and out and playing games. A holy church is a powerful church. We, it's how we need to know Jesus as well as how we do know him. So Jesus is saying, you want to overcome in your situation, you need to know me as the holy God, as the true God. Now rediscover my holiness. Rediscover the fear of the Lord. Be true in everything you do and say. In a desperately pagan culture, this is how they're going to overcome. Living holy lives. Not sanctimoniously, but living holy lives. Holy lives. It was wonderful to hear Pastor Sanjay's testimony yesterday. and Just this queue of people. I'm sure you've heard it or should hear it very soon. Very um, very, uh, very quickly. <laughs> I'm advertising it. It's a fantastic testimony. A queue of people come to challenge his newfound faith. People working black magic, all kinds of stuff. You know, I get upset if someone's a bit cold with me. Never mind, you know, a trained black magic um, <laughs> magician coming to work spells against me. That's a different league. But they couldn't touch him because the holiness of God was protecting him. Hallelujah. You want protected lives? If we want protection, we need to know God as a holy God. You know, not too casual with his presence. Not too casual with, oh, well, it doesn't matter about, you know, the kind of stuff that's creeping into church culture. It doesn't matter if the, and this isn't, I'm sure, I know this isn't the case here, but it doesn't matter if the worship leader shacked up with someone from the congregation. It doesn't matter about, you know, we're progressing. No, we're not progressing. We need to go back and discover the holiness of God. And become ruthless with sin. 
<laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> Not to go more to the world's way. We need to discover, rediscover the holiness of God. Hallelujah. And that's how they're surviving. So Jesus says, I've got the key of David. And there's this whole teaching here from Isaiah 22. You can read it later. A steward in Jerusalem called a, um, a Likim, who's given these keys. And he's clearly a picture of Christ. He's a steward in Jerusalem. He's, he's a father in, 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 in Jerusalem. And all the things are about Jesus and these keys. He's got a big bunch of keys, you know. He gave, he gave Peter one, keys of the kingdom, but he's got more. It's a different key here. It's the key of David. What is this key for? Well, it's a door that unlocks to salvation. And it's a narrow gate, a narrow, narrow door that leads to life, leads to eternal life. But I think it's more than that. It's a door to salvation. It's a door that unlocks salvation. Now, they had some pretty heavy doors back in those days. We've got some pretty heavy doors now. You try and force that thing open without the key, you're going to damage your shoulder. Unless you're really, really strong, you're going to injure yourself. <laughs> you're going to have to get one of those things that the police use. might still not be able to open the door. But when you've got the key... Very simple, isn't it? The gospel is the key for salvation. You know, we want to, in the corporate church, we want to preach everything else except the gospel. <laughs> everything else except repentance. Such an unfashionable thing. But it's so simple when you've got that, got that key. We mustn't be cleverer than God. We mustn't be more sophisticated than God. We've got to do it his way. But I think the key also opens the door, and here's, here's where TFM comes in, <laughs> the door for mission, the door for service. Well, God, it's the wrong time. It's the wrong time. Could we get those three um, pointers up on the, the screen? Um, God's timing, God's favor, open doors. I didn't know that God had spoken this to you when I was preparing this, this message. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know everything. It's an open door. Well, God, we're, we're small and we're weak and we haven't got a lot of resources and it's a big place and there are all these things going on. So now's the time to reach out in mission. Now's the time to evangelize. If you wait till everything, all your ducks are in a row, you'll never do it. The enemy will make sure, he'll make sure of it, that you never do it. <laughs> oh, when, when I've got more time, when I've got more money, when I... When I can go somewhere else and my neighbors won't hear about me. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Let's do it now. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's almost like God waits. I'm waiting for you to be perfectly weak. I'm waiting for you to be... Perfectly dependent on me for all those crutches to be kicked away. <laughs> In your weakness is my strength. We think it disqualifies us, it actually qualifies us. <laughs> the weakness, the vulnerability, the sense of inadequacy that's what actually qualifies us. That's the kind of person that Jesus can actually work with. Not the here I go, you know, I'm going to show them how to do it. It's lads on tour, you know, we'll. We'll go over there and show them how it's done. Well, watch out. Pride comes before a fall. It's in weakness and humility that the kingdom of God 
is expressed. And actually, how are the lost supposed to relate to someone who's standing there puffing themselves up? I know what you need to do. You're, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. What they can respond to is someone who has been perfectly broken, who has that winsomeness from the Lord. Yes, there but the grace of God go I. I could easily be in your shoes. I could easily have made that decision. It's just the grace of God that saved me. That's the kind of person that a lost soul can relate to, can receive from. You know, way too much posturing. We've got to go down low and meet people where they are with this incredibly powerful key, the gospel, that can open that door that is locked to everybody else. And the scary thing is that door will one day be locked eternally. You know, how, when did you last hear a message about heaven? When did you last hear a message about hell? Do we really believe that Jesus is coming back? Or are we actually quite comfortable, thank you very much? Would you hold off, Jesus? I've got some pension money coming. I've got a foreign holiday booked. I'm going to get a nice new car next year. The places I want to see. The early church lived in the daily expectation that Jesus is coming back. Soon, he said. Soon I'm coming. Don't you hate the Lord soon? <laughs> With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. He is not slow in keeping his promises, some consider slowness. But he is patient with us, not wanting any to perish. The reason he holds off is he's waiting for his church, <laughs> waiting for his church to understand how much he loves the lost and how much he wants us to go and share the good news with them. Our comfort is not his priority. It really isn't. I learned that very early on. He's comfortable when I'm uncomfortable. Why would we need a comforter, the Holy Spirit, if it was just going to be comfort and ease, you know, oiled, oiled machine all the way? Why would we need a comforter? We're going to need, we need a comforter because it's so uncomfortable and stretching and confronting. and We can't live in the place that we used to live. If we're serious about Jesus, he's always going to look to stretch us. He's always going to look to grow us. He's passionately committed to our growth. Far more than we are, than I am, I should say. I'm sure you are. Far more so. Far more committed. And if he sees a tiny bit of willingness, he'll design circumstances to stretch. Take us out of our box. Take us out of our safety. I'm like, God, not again. I thought I'd, I'd come out of enough boxes. He said, well, there's still a few more. Still a few more to go. Let's try this situation. You know when you're kind of getting there, when you stop praying, for the, we sang it earlier, you stop praying, God, take this fiery trial away from me. Say, I'm running in because Jesus is there with me. And I, I pray, God, I'll stay in there as long as I need to. Please do your work thoroughly. Help me to learn quick. The moment I'm done, can you take me out, please? Take me out, please. <laughs> Just let me be cooked to perfection. And then take me out. <laughs> I want to be an overcomer. <laughs> so, the door. The door of opportunity. The door for the lost. I mentioned that this city, God is redeeming it. He's turning it into a missionary city. People from all over the Asia, all over the, from the Middle East, would come in and out of Philadelphia. It's a gateway city. So you've got a golden opportunity. You don't have to fly over there. You don't have to go to another country. They're all coming to you. <laughs> Remember Jackie Pullinger sort of 
giving a hard stare. Anyone here seen Jackie Pullinger? She's pretty terrifying. She's got the fear of the Lord. <laughs> She's giving, me, giving us all a really hard stare. She, You've got no excuses. You have no excuses. The world is coming to you now. Wow. <laughs> no, I think she's brilliant. She's brilliant, but terrifying. Um, <laughs> pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known this mystery of the gospel. So this small community, this tiny community, are being entrusted with this powerful key, the gospel. It's not about, you know, the me- there's a mega church in Ephesus. But Jesus is saying, Philadelphia, you're the gateway. You're the, you're the mission church. You're the one to share the gospel. And it's going to go out all over the world from you. Raise your voice. The fascinating thing here, God is God of history. The fascinating thing here is when, um, when Islam went out of, uh, out of the Middle East, there was a, an empire that was raised up to spread Islam throughout the world. They went all the way through Asia, all the way through to the gates of Vienna. Guess which tiny church still was standing? Guess which city had the church <laughs> that didn't bow to Islam? You guessed it. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Hallelujah. The church of brotherly love was still standing. Still a light there. Maybe not a very bright one. Maybe not big numbers. Maybe not the most dynamic services. But they were still standing. They did not deny their faith. They had so many enemies. The, the church, synagogue of Satan. I, I think this means the, the Jewish community, the Jewish synagogue, also raised up against, I think it was Sardis. You know, the, the, the religious fury that came against these new Christians. We are the seed of Abraham. We are the people. How dare you? How dare you show a different way? They stood. So finally, a pillar. Do you feel like a pillar? Sometimes I feel like a reed blowing in the wind, blowing back and forth, and that flickering flame. Lord, I'm so sorry, but please don't let that flame go out. Blow it and again. He blew it again this morning in the prayer time. Never let it go out, Jesus. But I don't want to have to live from one service to another. I want that flame, I want that fire to be there all the time. I don't want to always be like a reed blowing in the wind. I want to be a pillar. Paul spoke about Peter and, and, and John, those reputed to be pillars. A pillar is a strong thing. It's a straight thing. And if you go to ruins in Greece or anywhere else where there have been pillars in a building. Very often the roof may have come off, walls may have fallen down, but there are still these pillars standing up. Have you seen that? They are strong things. Again, Jesus is incredible how parabolic he is. He uses things that the the people in Philadelphia knew they would have walked by every day. They, They wouldn't have needed any great leap of understanding. If you pleased Caesar in the Roman era, you didn't get invited to the palace and get given an MBE and maybe cucumber sandwiches in the, in the garden. Didn't, that didn't happen. You didn't get put on global TV. You didn't get, as far as I know, a financial reward. What happened is your name was written in one of these pillars that lined the high street of Philadelphia. That's what you got. 
when Caesar was happy with you. Permanence. Your name is going to be there. Everyone who walks through the city is going to read that name. Wow. Jesus is saying, if you do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to make you a pillar. You're going to stand straight and true. There's going to be permanence. There's going to be security. And rather than me writing your name on it, I'm going to write my name. It's going to be a new name. I find this fascinating. I've got a theory about that. So names, a name, another name of Jesus is so beautiful that the human, this is just my theory. Please don't just go back to scripture. Dismiss it. This is my theory. It's a name so beautiful, this new name for Jesus, that we couldn't, we couldn't cope with it in our humanity. So you're going to have to wait for that one. You just, it would blow your fuses. That's my theory anyway. But he's going to write that new name on these pillars. These tiny, weak, Philadelphian believers. He said, you are a pillar. <laughs> Peter, you are a rock. <laughs> well, Jesus, Jesus, I've just failed you. I've just, I've, I've denied you. I'm, I'm pathetic. I should crawl around the rest of my life on my belly repenting for my existence. No, Peter, you are a rock. Philadelphian believers, you are pillars. You are strong in the strength of your God. Philadelphia was very susceptible to earthquakes. It, you lived in daily danger. There was, I've not been there. I'd like to go there. But there's constant earthquakes, really bad ones. Again, fear, insecurity. Jesus says, you're going to be a pillar. You're going to stand eternally. With me, with me. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? That's pretty exciting. The promises are only for the overcomers. You know, there are, there are people who are going to get, get through the flames and be in heaven and we're going to see them. But the rewards, the promises, do you want to inherit the promises? <laughs> do you want to live the promises in your life here today? Well, I would love the authority. Jesus says, well, you've got to overcome. <laughs> you know, that's how you get the authority. You've got to overcome a situation and live in such victory over it individually, you start to have authority to release other people from that very same bondage. We'd like it for free, wouldn't we? Salvation is free. Anointing is going to cost us. If you want anointing, there are things you're going to have to overcome. You know, and the grace, is God, uh, grace of God is there for us. I'm just, I'm just I'm telling you, the rewards are for the overcomers. It's not just for any old Christian. I see far too many converts as I travel around churches. Very few disciples. It's a completely different thing. Completely, completely, completely different. A convert will still need his nose wiping. He'll still be spitting his, his, his dummy out the, the, the pram 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the line. A disciple will be the one helping nurture other believers. Will have authority in their own life. We need more disciples. Yes, there has to be a point of conversion, but it's got to go on from there. Amen? Putting on a mission, I hope we're going to do that together. It's such an exhausting thing. There's so much unseen work. There's a lot of invisible work. There's a lot of prayers, a lot of fasting. There's a lot of... But actually, the point of conversion for somebody, that's when the hard work really gets going. We've got to be ready at that point to run with the, the convert. Disciple them. Get them bedded in. Get them, get them cleaned out. 
You know, people have so many bondages these days. They're going to need some deliverance. They're going to need some help breaking addiction. They're going to need such complicated relationships. That doesn't just sort it all it doesn't just sort itself all out. Jesus can do it all instantly, but my experience is he doesn't normally work like that. He's looking for mature believers, pillars, to be around to help get that person free, to share the journey with them, to be accountable. So these, these Philadelphian Christians are promised a threefold security. They belong to God. God's name is inscribed upon them. Hallelujah. We are also inscribed on God's hand. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves, I belong to God. When someone touches me, they touch the apple of God's eye. You know, I belong to God, creator of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords, holy and true, first and last, beginning and end, alpha and omega. You could go on and on and on. I belong to him. I share in his inheritance. Wow. I shouldn't be able to walk in a room and it just stay the same. The atmosphere should immediately change. Hallelujah. If we overcome, we're going to find that's happening in our lives. They belong to God's city, the church triumphant, the new Jerusalem. Do you belong to the new Jerusalem? <laughs> the church triumphant? Hallelujah. <laughs> I was talking with someone recently about, in fact, Pastor Ibo, the security it gives us to realize we're part of this long move of God that started at Pentecost. You know, I want to see prophetic words fulfilled in my lifetime, but if I don't, I want my daughter to see them fulfilled. And if she doesn't, I want her children to see them fulfilled. We're part of this huge move of God, and one day we're going to be united with all of our brothers and sisters in that church triumphant. And we could, be we could be pillars, you could be pillars in that, that church. Hallelujah. You could be some of the people that prop it up and hold it together. So I'm going to finish as if I haven't been throwing out enough challenge and stirring the, stirring the pot enough. I, I, can just, I can leave in an hour or so. <laughs> Pastor Sandy's got to cope with all the, the fallout. But if I could finish with one final challenge to you. In all your felt weakness, inadequacy, and the beginnings of Christian persecution is happening. We were not so very far away. Someone can be taken off a street and arrested for what they were thinking, what they were praying in their mind. We're not a million miles away from real persecution rather than just people giving us the cold shoulder. So I'll repeat that. In all your felt weakness, inadequacy, and the beginnings of Christian persecution, will you boldly share your faith so that you can share in his reward? Thank you. God bless you.